Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. Have you heard about the parable of the ten minas? Not so sure. I know you've heard about the parable of the talents. We have a tendency to combine the two, but here's what I want to be careful of. Stories in the scriptures are, 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 are individual stories, and they're, they're, they're not to be substituted one for the other. These are more to parables, right? We've, we've mentioned parables, right? Earthly stories with heavenly meanings. In general, a parable will, will, will go from the familiar, something you already know about, familiar, to the unfamiliar. And in the parable of the ten minas, we're going to learn about kings. Did the audience know about kings? Yes. Slaves? Yes. Rewards? Yes. Judgment? Punishment? Yes. So that's what's contained here. But this is not the same as the parable of the talents. And I'm going to show you in a moment why. And we need to know the difference. And this happens right before. Here's, Here's the framework. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's coming out of Jericho, 15, 16, 17 miles up to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to come in. At some point, Matthew 25, in the middle of Passion Week, he does the parable of the talents. This is before then. And it's important we understand the difference between the two. Because it's a a powerful difference and it impacts all of us right now. Okay, ready? Different information. Totally different application. That's the key in understanding parables. And then you want to see yourself in the story, right? You want to see where you are. So, so listen, listen, this one of the few parables, right? We get to see ourselves kind of like a good guy. A lot of times in the parable, right, you're always a bad guy, right? You're always the one that's really messing things up. Now, now you could be, you could, but hopefully not. We'll, we'll unpack it. But hopefully one of the servants where Jesus says, well done, well done. Hey, you've been doing a lot of good stuff with the mind I've given you. Okay, you ready? Here we go. 11 is the start. 27 finishes. Chapter 19. Hear now the word of God. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. 
But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant fallible word. Let's pray. Father, we're here by divine design. Everyone here in their assigned seats, even if they move around. You have a word for each heart, regardless of age or station in life. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. Nobody is here today hoping to hear the imagination of a man. But they hunger and thirst for the revelation of God. May it thunder forth from this pulpit. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, a word of comfort for those in storm winds, and a word of rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden, all things to all people, that all within the sound of my voice, whether here in this sanctuary or by way of the internet, as we live stream right now, all who are not in a saving relationship, may they come to a living, saving faith in Christ. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and Him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, let me give you the headings first, and I'm giving you just a little background, very, very brief history from Josephus, very, very brief. Three things under the parable of the ten minas. Number one, his purpose. What was the purpose that Jesus had in telling this story? And then a few days later, he tells the parable of the talents. Two totally different. What, what is our preparation in this story? We need to get that. And then finally, the proclamation. Now, we said that often he's going to use, Jesus is going to use these these events and, and historical events that are, that are known, that he can build his story. Remember, this is a story. It's a made-up story. But he built it on something that actually was known that took place in the context of the nation of Israel. So I'm just going to show you a couple things on the screen, okay? You remember the name Herod, right? Everybody remembers the name Herod. Herod the Great, okay? The members of Herod's family figure prominently in the life of Christ. So you remember the great one, right? He ends up dying about B.C. 4, right? And, and forgetting the time frame, but it's after the, the birth of, of, of Jesus. He's the one that orders all of the male children, two-ish and under, in Bethlehem and the surrounding vicinity to be killed. That's, that's Herod the Great. You know him. Herod the Great had three sons. I'm only going to show you two. Because the third one is, 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 is of no importance. It's not even really recorded much. But I'm going to show you the two that you, you, you'll know one. This is the one that you need to know. Because this is the backdrop of the story. This is Archelaus. So this is the eldest son of Herod the Great. So this is Herod Archelaus. He's the eldest son. When he came to power, when, when Herod died, before he died, Herod the Great, he had three sons. He wanted to divide the kingdom evenly with all three of the sons. Okay? And they've got to get commissioned from Rome. They're not Roman and they're not Jewish. They're Idumeans. So they're going to actually rule under Roman rule for the purpose of keeping order and being responsible for their own little worlds. Archelaus comes to the throne. He slays 3,000 during Passover. His first act on the, on, on the throne, he slays 3,000 during Passover. So the Jews hate him. They're beside himself with this guy. So... Both the Jews and the Samaritans who hated each other now had a common purpose. We've got to get rid of this guy. So the Jews and the Samaritans come together. They send a delegation to Rome and say to Caesar, we don't want this man to be our king. We just read this, yes? You, you hear the echo? 
the audience, Jesus is just, he's, he's replaying the story, but he's putting himself now in the story. And it's a historical event. You realize you have the only religious worldview that is rooted in historical events. You understand these things? This is a historical event. Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian, writes of these things. Archelaus was, all of those rulers were bad. He was extra bad. He was, if this is a good word, badder. Is that a good word? He was badder than all of them. Really bad. So he, but I I want you to get, he slays 3,000. And they want him removed. Antipas, you remember Antipas, don't you? He's the Herod that takes John the Baptist's head off. And he's the guy that Pilate sends Jesus to because he was under his jurisdiction. Pilate's trying to wash his hands. So you remember Antipas. So these are two of the three sons. Archelaus is the key in understanding why Jesus is telling this story and how he puts himself into it, okay? Ready? We're going to head out now into some deep water and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what is his purpose? Watch. The keys that unlock the door to the purpose are hung right on the front door. While they were listening to what? What he was just saying. What was he just saying? What was the last verse we just unpacked last week? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. While they were listening to his proclamation of coming to seek and to save, you realize there's no salvation without a cross. He didn't come to reform social systems. He didn't come to reestablish Israel's nation. He didn't come to do all the things they were hoping for on the first trip here. So he's nearing Jerusalem, and they're thinking the kingdom of God is going to appear now. They lived with him. They walked with him. They saw what he had accomplished. They know he has the power. Did they have a right? Did they have a right to assume the kingdom of God was, was to be a... Of course they did. They rightly understood the scriptures. They understood Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah. They understood it. But what did they miss? They missed the cross. They missed Isaiah 53. They missed Psalm 22. They missed the resurrection, Psalm 16. They had a right to assume that the kingdom was coming. Of course they did. This, this, was, this was the prevailing Jewish eschatology. This was the end time. When Messiah would come, he would set up his kingdom. It would appear. now, And he's coming into Jerusalem. There's a heightened state of excitement and, and enthusiasm. It's the Passover. Now's the time. So what are they expecting? He's going to remove Roman rule and he's going to establish an earthly kingdom. But he just said, I came to seek and save. I... I I didn't come to do this yet. Did you know that in approximately every 20 to 25 New Testament passages, we find reference to the second coming? Did you know? That, that, that's, how, that's how prevalent it is in the scriptures. I don't have the clip for you this week, but that's okay. We'll do it another time. But you know the clip I love from the Terminator. I'll be back. Jesus said that. I'm coming back. So between the time he leaves and the time he comes back, 
there's something for us to be doing. That's what this now is all about, okay? Verse 12, he said, a man of noble birth. Who's the man of noble birth? Jesus. Now, yes, they would know that, that these Herods, right, somewhat noble birth, right? But he's, he's, he's going to put himself into the story. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. What was the distant country? Back to where he came from, back to heaven, to his father, to present his kingdom and to be given the keys to the kingdom because he has earned that. He has come and fulfilled the law. He has sacrificed the wrath of God and the penalty for sin. So he's going and he says he's coming. The key is the return. He's coming back. Acts 1-7, he's been resurrected. He's out of the grave. And they ask him in verse 6, is, is now the time? Is now the time for the kingdom? Do we get our seats now at the table? What does he say? It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. No, it's not the time. I haven't gone yet. I was gone for a couple days in the tomb. You're misunderstanding the scriptures. I'm going to go. The bridegroom is going to go away. Then you, can, then you can fast. Then you can weep. And then you can work. But I'm coming back. Now, here it is. Ready? This is, this is tying into Archelaus. But I'm going to give you something else too, just for fun. Verse 14. But his subjects. Question. Who are his subjects? This is deep. Ready? But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Okay, so there's Archelaus, right? The Jews and the Samaritans come together. They send a delegation to Rome. They say, we don't want Archelaus to be our king. This guy is, uh, this guy is the worst ever. He's killed 3,000 of us. We're not gonna, so, so, so Caesar doesn't give him the title of king. He still allows him to rule. He lasts about nine years, and then he vanishes. But that's the story. But here's the question. <clears throat> Who are the subjects to the king? Answer, everyone. You know how many people say to me, I, 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 I don't have anything to do with Jesus. I, I, I don't have any issue with Christianity. I, 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 I haven't rejected him. I haven't received him. I have nothing to do with him. Do you know that Jesus has everything to do with you? Why? He's the king. And you're his sub. Well, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. How can you say that? By virtue of creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Nothing was made apart from Christ. Christ is the king of what? Everything. So you don't have to have anything to do with him. You can be a Buddhist, a Hindu, a secular humanist, a Jew. You can be anything you want to be. It doesn't matter. But he has everything to do with you. You're still his subject. He is still king. He's made the promise that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You can't, you can't get away from that. This is his kingdom. He is king. Even those who said, we don't want you to rule, it didn't matter. He went away, he got the kingdom, and he's coming back. And when he comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You understand that? You don't have to have anything to do with him. But he has everything to do with you. That's powerful to understand that truth. And that's why we share with everybody, we come in contact with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he truly is the king of kings. So... How do we anchor this in, in, in the New Testament? Is this true for Jesus? Was he treat? Listen, they had reason to treat Archelaus that way. He was a really bad... They had no reason to treat... Je Not only did they have no reason to cheat, 
treat Jesus. Take, take a look at John. Okay, take a look at John. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Archelaus slays 3,000 when he takes the throne. What does Jesus do on the day of Pentecost? Saves 3,000. Do you think these are just numbers that just kind of fell out of the sky? Archelaus wipes out 3,000 and Jesus on the day of Pentecost raises 3,000 into the church. They had no reason to hate him. They had no reason to deny him. They had every reason for Archelaus. But he came to his own and his own received him not. And then Luke, this is, we're going to get to this, I think, before I die, maybe not. So the next guy will have to do it. But chapter 23, if we get there before I'm gone, 18 and 21, the crowd shouted away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Release Barabbas, an insurrectionist, a really bad guy. Crucify him. Crucify. He came to his own, and he comes out of the grave. Loves those who hate him. Sends the Holy Spirit on the first day of the church. 3,000. And they remembered. And they knew what they had done. (sighs) Number two. What's our preparation? This is where we want to explain a little bit of the difference here at some point of what's the parable about and what's going on here. He called 10. Why 10? Why not the 12? If he calls the 12, then you'll think it's designed for his group of of disciples, the apostles. Why the number 10? It's just a round number that tells you this this is all of his servants. He calls all of his servants. This is the point. So he just uses the number 10. He gives 10 minus. Scholarship could say he gave 10 to each or he gave one to each. The, the, the number doesn't matter. But what matters is he gave an equal amount. Are you with me? Equal. So, so every servant got the exact same thing. So right away, listen to what he says. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So what, what does a mina represent? What, what does it represent in the, in the scripture? It's about three, three months wage. But there's something going on here. You have to ask a question. They're distributed equally. They're of equal value. Are your gifts the same as the person next to you? Are your talents and ability, are they? Of course not. Brock said I'm not allowed to sing in a choir, and I don't know why. That doesn't seem right. I sing. He says, no, Poppy, you stay in the back. You stay in the back. Okay, so I can't sing. But that's okay. I have a different gift. But see, we have all different gifts, talents, and ability. But that's not in this parable. There's something different here. Everything that, there's, it's identical. What, what, so you have to stop. You've got to ask some questions. Later in the week, he's talking about gifts, talents, and abilities. And one he gives five, the other he gives two, the other he gives one. There's, there's a different level here. So you have different gifts, talents, and abilities. Every single one of us has different gifts, talents, and abilities. But there's something here that has nothing to do with that. Where are we equal? Where are we the same? Where is the ground level in the kingdom of God? Oh, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem? It's in your home. Jerusalem is your home. That's what it represents. And then in all Judea. It's outside your home, in your community. 
and beyond your community. And then to Samaria, beyond the community, and to the state, and to the, to the nation, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. You will receive what? Power when whom shows up? The Holy Spirit. Let me clear something up that's a bit confusing in the church of Jesus Christ today. There's talk about this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and some people have a little bit more than others, and some people have a little bit... Where, do you, where does that come from? That's not biblical. Do you know that the Holy Spirit that resides in you is, is the same as it resides in every single person who's been raised from death to life? You don't get any more later. You didn't get any less on the front end. You got the Holy Spirit. You got the power, the power of the good news of the gospel. In essence, you got spiritual capital. You got the God of the Word and the Word of God. And every single one of you has an equal amount. Now, where does the difference come in? What you do with your gifts, talents, and abilities in applying that to your life. But you, don't la- you may lack singing ability. You may lack the gift of administration. You may lack all sorts of different... But you do not lack the God of the Word and the Word of God. You have the same mina that every believer has. You with me? Now. Now what? Now we're going to be given some instruction from Jesus. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. There's some, what is Jesus saying? I'm going to leave. And there's something for you to do while I'm gone. And I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to check in with you. And I'm going to see how you did. You, you know this. Okay? A little more. Back to the passage. He, see, when I asked you, who, who are his subjects? He was made king. You didn't get a vote. <laughs> I don't want Jesus to be my king. You don't get a vote. Jesus owns you. Did you know that? Well, I don't have interest in you. You don't need to. You're owned by him. He created you. Recreation is a different thing, but he created you. You're his. He's your king. And he returned home. And now he sent for the servants to find out what? Oh, my. What is, what is Jesus expecting? There's been increase. Do you know that you were made for increase? What kind of increase? It's not financial capital. You're, you're made for... <laughs> With the spiritual capital that you've been given, what kind of increase has taken place in your life? How have you put the spiritual capital that you have, the God of the Word and the Word of God, into circulation? Two options for Christianity, right? You can be a cul-de-sac or you can be a conduit. You know what a cul-de-sac is, right? You just go to the back and turn it come right back out. Nothing going through. It's like the Dead Sea. It's dead for a reason. Nothing in, nothing out. Just kind of sits there. You're supposed to be a conduit. So the God of the Word and the Word of God is supposed to do what? Flow through you, right through you, into the lives of other people. That's why you've been given spiritual capital. And then here's the key. 1 Corinthians 4.2. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove. I'm not making this up. This is in the Scripture. 
This is Jesus who's talking to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. I've given you a trust. What's the trust that you... Did you know that your life is a gift and a trust? We have no claim on our lives. Your next breath comes because of Jesus. The next beat of your heart comes because of Jesus. You're His. Whether you want it or not, whether you like it or not, you're His. So He says, I've given you a trust. I've given you your life. Now you must prove faithful. But we're going to go deeper now and understand what all this means so that we're really clear. You ready? Final point. Here's the proclamation. This is where it really gets exciting. Wait till you see this. What's the proclamation? There's re- now, there's ten servants. He doesn't talk about the ten. He only really talks about two, even though he brings up three. But there's only two categories. Those who are faithful and those who are fearful, right? You have two categories. Faithful and fearful. Faithful and fearful. Got it? Okay, here we go. Number three, the proclamation. The judge, the judge is coming back. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Number one, the first guy, sir, you're mina. Notice the humility. It's not my mina. It's what you gave me. Your mina has earned, and I'm not even sure how it did it, but it did it. Your mina, all by just, I kept it in circulation. I kept it going. It earned 10. Excellent. I'm going to give you 10 cities. This is ruling and reigning, right? In the new, new, new heavens and new earth, you're going to have responsibility, yes? Based on what? How well you took care of your responsibilities here. And now, stay with me. Second guy, sir, your mina has earned five more. Excellent. I'm going to give you five cities. Well done, he says, my good servant. Oh, what wonderful words to hear. Now we have the fearful. Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it in a piece of cloth. Verse 24, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Now, they protest about that for a moment. Do you know why? That just seems too radical. What do they say? The guy already has 10. Why would we give him more? Faithful over little, and I'll make you ruler over, and I'll just keep making you ruler over more and more and more. Do you see how gracious God is? He just keeps pouring out. You keep pouring out for him, and he keeps pouring into your life. Take from this guy who won't use it and give it to those who are. It's a powerful picture of the power of the gospel in the lives of believers. Okay, so now, this is where where it really gets good. And you don't hear a lot of talk about this today, and I don't know why. But I've had some really good teachers along the way. So are you ready? Romans 4, 10 to 12. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written. Where is it written? In the Hebrew Bible, right? That's all they had. This was in Isaiah chapter 45. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess. Pause. Who are his subjects? Everybody say everyone. 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 Doesn't matter what they believe. They have no interest in Christianity. They have no concern for Christ. It doesn't matter who they are. Do you understand this? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's not being narrow-minded or intolerant. That's just simply speaking the truth in love. This is in all of Scripture from beginning to end. There is a king and there is a kingdom and the king is coming back. And every single person in the kingdom, there's only one kingdom, the kingdom of God, right? He's given the devil a little bit of area to rule and to reign, but God is it's his kingdom, the new heavens, and the, it's all his from beginning to end. So everyone is his subject. So then he says, each of you are going to give an account. 
What in the world does that mean? We're going to stand before God's judgment. What, what is that? I thought we're not judged. Depends on what you mean by that. And I've unpacked this many times before. You've heard of the great white throne judgment? You've heard of that? Of course you have. You know that's in Revelation 20, 11 to 15. What happens at the great white throne judgment? Let, let me make it personal. What happens for you at the great white throne judgment? Say nothing. Nothing. Why? Already happened. Where? Say cross. Cross. It happened on the cross. You were judged on the cross. The white throne judgment happened on the cross when Jesus took God's wrath upon himself. So for all those who are in Christ, there's no great white throne judgment that you will stand before where you will be judged for your salvation. So what is it talking about? There's another judgment seat. It's called the Bema seat of Christ. You go, but what is that? Bema, if you go back to the ancient world of Israel, the Bema seat would be a high platform with a seat, kind of a thronish looking kind of a seat on top, where those who ruled in Israel would rule over the matters of the day, and it was called the Bema seat, elevated so people could see it and they could look down and judge. That's one aspect, but I'm going to take you to the ancient Olympic Games for the Bema seat. The Bema seat was located, a high platform, at the finish line in the Olympic Games. And the judge who would sit on the high platform on the Bema seat would be able to identify the order in which those finished. First, second, third, fourth, fifth, so on. And then he would get down off of the Bema seat of judgment and hand out rewards to those in the games according to how they finished. Bema seat of judgment. Do you understand? Now, there's a Bema seat that you will stand before, that you will be judged. For what? For the purpose of giving you rewards for what you've done with what he's given you to do it with. Don't miss this. And there are degrees of rewards. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is the classic text on degrees of rewards in heaven. You ready? We must, we must, must needs, we must. You don't get a choice. You don't get a vote. We must all appear before the judgment. That's the bima seat. Bima seat, not the great white throne. No, no. The bima seat of judgment of Christ that each, oh, don't miss this, that each one may receive what is due, it's due to you. And now Jesus owes you because he's made a commitment and a promise to reward you for what you've done with what he's given you to do it with. While I'm away, occupy, stay busy. Do what you know you must do for the cause of my kingdom. And when I come back, I'm bringing rewards with me. This is unbelievable. What is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad? Now, don't think bad, white throne judgment. It just means you're not going to get the rewards that some are going to get. We just saw it in the parable. Some are going to get ten cities to rule. Some are going to get five. Some are just, oh, what were you doing? Why were you so busy expanding the cause of your own kingdom? Didn't you know? I was coming back. I gave you what you needed. What, what were you doing? So now you've heard 
in the scripture. Dr. Sproul preached an incredible sermon as one escaping through the fire. You kind of just get in and you, oh, is, that, is that what's wanted? Psalms, so that you see that this isn't made up in the New Testament. Like, where does this come from? One word from one God to one world. Ready? Psalm 62, 12. You, O Lord, are, are living. Surely you will reward each person according to what he's done. You have been promised rewards. And see, see, see now you take the parable of the talents and you apply it and you say what? Now you have gifts, talents, and abilities to be able to use, because that makes up you as an individual, to use the spiritual capital that you have, which everyone has who's in the body, at the same level, but it will produce different results. Some will produce ten times, some five, some fifty, some hundred, some two, so doesn't matter. Remember, I watered Apollos, I planted, Apollos watered, God supplied the increase. Increase has nothing to do with you, but your job is to take the spiritual capital, take that spiritual capital, and put it into circulation. Take that money, if you want to call it money, put it into circulation. The God of the Word and the Word of God. Okay? We clear? All right, how do we close? Here it is. Who is king in your life. You need to pause for a moment. Don't just, don't just holler out. Yeah, it's a legitimate question. The Bible says what? Examine your hearts. Who is the king of your life? Who sits on the throne of your life? We have to constantly be examining our hearts because we have a tendency to, to do what? We want to sit on the throne of our lives. Right? We want to be king. And no king wants to be ruled by another king. So we, we all have in our hearts a desire to be in charge and to rule and to have control. So the question is this, who is king in your life? We've made it clear that Jesus says, I'm king of everyone. I own everyone. I own everything. Everything is mine. What does this represent? 168. Anyone? Man, they hollered out immediately on Saturday night. My, my, my. But they didn't holler out at 9 a.m. either. I don't know, maybe they're shyer on Sunday morning. I mean, a little bit more tight or, I don't know. Holler out. What is 168? You're thinking now of a parable, right? 153 fish, 160. What is he doing? What is he doing to us? Now, this is a number that we should all know. Know what it is? It's a number of hours you have each week. To do what? To invest your time your talent, and your treasure. What is Jesus telling us in the parable? Now, you can't look forward to the next week. We'll, we'll, we'll project in a moment. But you had 168 from last Sunday. What would you do with your time, talent, and treasure? That's the question that Jesus is going to ask. When he returns, he's going to ask the question, what did you do with what I gave you to do it with? What did you do? The time, the, the time was mine. Talent was mine. Treasure was mine. Capital was mine. Capital was me. I'm the God of the word. I'm the word of God. Capital was me. What did you do? Did you spend the lion's share of your time expanding your little kingdom? Did you do that? 
then how am I possibly going to reward you to the extent that you would like in the new heavens and the new earth if you couldn't do it here with the little that you were given? You weren't faithful over the little that you were given. It's hard to make you ruler over much. So you've got a hundred, you had 168. He's going to ask us. Take a look at Revelation. The Lamb will triumph over them because he is... You can't get away from this. I can't tell you how many people tell me I have nothing to do with Christianity. I don't have anything to do with Christ. He has everything to do with you. It doesn't matter what you think. He truly is king. And he's Lord. Or he's nothing. And with him what? Will be his called. We've unpacked that many times. Chosen and faithful followers. So you say now, oh boy, Pastor, you've really gone to meddling. Ugh. Had a bad week. Did you? Me too. No, I did. Ask him. No, don't ask her. So you had a, you had a bad week. Had a bad year. Who knows? You know the good news? Right now, you're, you, you have breath, you have heartbeat. Don't forget this. Now, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Watch here. Be my seed. Be my seed. Rewards, judgment seat, doesn't exist for you. There's no condemnation. So you're not, you can't be condemned. You're just not going to be given a whole lot of responsibility in the new heavens and the new earth. Maybe you're going to be the one floating around on a, on a cloud strumming a celestial harp. You want that? I don't want that. I don't want that. Forever and ever and ever? Who? I don't want that. I don't know what I want, but I don't want that. For those who've been given a trust, we must prove faithful. But when we mess it up, we're not condemned. And we're going to be given what we're able to handle. What a, what a God. What a promise. If you've never experienced it, you've, you've never known this truth, now's a moment of salvation. By grace through faith, you surrender control of your life. You, you get off of the throne of your life. You step down off the throne of your life by grace through faith. And Jesus occupies, he's on the throne anyway, whether you like it or not. And you come to Christ, all who are weary and heavy laden, and Jesus says, I will give you rest. Rest, rest from your self-salvation project. Rest from trying to expand the cause of your tiny little kingdom. And the promise of rewards that are coming, that because you were faithful over little, you'll be made ruler over much. Oh my, what a God. What a Christ. What a promise. Come to Christ. Come now. We may not get 168. Come now. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here who has never surrendered control to Jesus, never, ever, ever, ever. Their knee has never bowed and their tongue has never confessed. 
Make this a moment of salvation. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. If that's you today, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the truth, you need only cry out like the tax collector in the temple with the Pharisee. Cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And salvation comes to your heart and your home this day. And Father, for the rest of us, we all know that there are so many times we've messed it up. We have fallen short of our intended goal and mark to bring you honor, praise, and glory to expand your kingdom. Remind us. Remind us that there's no condemnation. And then strengthen us to chart a new course to serve our King and to expand His kingdom. And this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.